I'm Brandon Carey. I'm Jason Grady. This is the Medic Class Citizen Podcast. All right, everybody, welcome back. So in this episode, we're going to sit down with two of our new friends, Tyler Cristofoli and Samuel Ireland of the project known as Foam Frat. Uh, or as it's known now, Foam Frat Studio. Listen, as in this conversation, we actually get to hear the story of how Foam Frat started off as a podcast and a blog, but now uh, it has definitely reshaped the way that EMS providers can receive um, and enjoy continuing education. So uh, we hope you all enjoy the conversation and uh, hit us up on all of our social media and on our website and uh, also check out Foam Frat at www.foamfrat.com and also check them out on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. So, man, I think that's a that's a good place to start. Tell us, um, if you each of you don't mind, just uh, tell us about where you're from, where you grew up, and what got you into EMS in general. And then, you know, we'd love to hear about what got you into EMS education. Yeah, so... So Sam and I, I mean, we grew up in different areas. I grew up in North Carolina. He's been up in like the Milwaukee area. And we met when we were teenagers, probably like that 16, 17 range. We had the same group of friends when I moved up here. And I was an EMT basic working at a private ambulance service. I just decided I wanted to try EMS. And we got to know each other. And he was like, how is, uh, do you like it? He did a couple ride alongs. And then... What's funny is we both, he went to EMT school and decided he wanted to do it. And we were like, oh, it'd be fun if we all went to like paramedic school together. You know, it was him <laughs> and I and like one of our other buddies. And so you had to go sit and take this test called the, uh, the AccuPlacer mm-hmm. before you could get into paramedic. And so we all walked out and I failed the math portion. So they all got to go to paramedic school. I had to go back and like do this whole <laughs> math section before I could go to paramedic. So Sam's te- technically got one year on me as far as being a paramedic. Nice. But yeah. And then we both ended up working at the same shop, um, same ambulance company. We both started running the training department together. He was the critical care coordinator and I was the training officer. And then when I left to go fly up in uh, Minneapolis at Lifelink 3, um, we were like, man, we live about five to six hours apart. And so we needed something that we were like, you know, it'd be cool if we had a blog or a podcast, something to force us to like hang out and do something, a project together. And so we came up with a bunch of different names and then we settled on on Foam Frat. So it was a free open access medical education for resuscitation and training and it was that's exactly what it was i mean it was just blogs podcasts part of that fomed movement that was going on at that time and then now that there's actually like a product behind it you know everybody's like i thought the f stood for free and we're like <laughs> financed now <laughs> and nobody knows that frat is like an acronym for resuscitation and training everybody's always assumes that it's just like ambiguous yeah it's actually really, really freaking clever. Um, but uh, so, yeah, Sam, um, what about you, man? Give uh, us your how background. How did I get into EMS? Yeah, or... yeah. Is it pretty much yeah, essentially so it... the same story as Tyler? Other, other yeah, than a little better, man. You know, I, I met Tyler when I was like 16. <laughs> we were playing music together and stuff. And um, I actually moved out of Wisconsin for a little bit. So we lost uh, contact. And I had a, I moved down to Virginia for a little bit and I had a weird experience. I was working with a friend of mine and we, I had like this job, like a labor job, building pools, in-ground pools uh, for my buddy's dad. And so I was with him and we were out in this warehouse and he got injured and he started like having a seizure, like on and off and having these like intraictal crazy episodes where he would go into like snoring respirations and stuff and we were out in this warehouse with no cell phone reception there was like no ground phone and we were like a ways from where we had to like take this equipment and so i got as a 16 year old kid i I got stuck in this situation where i was horribly afraid that my friend was gonna like die you know i had you know somebody's having a seizure in front of you you have no medical training and you you have no idea what to do and you're, you're completely just scared you know and so yeah i remember some time i think i moved back to wisconsin maybe like a year later or so and i was hanging out with tyler and i was over at his place and we we're hanging out and he was 
doing some like on call stuff or something. I remember we we're all hanging out and his pager goes off and he runs out the door. <laughs> and I remember thinking like, it, you know, he's going to somebody with an emergency right now. That's kind of interesting. Like I was in this situation where I had no idea what to do in an emergency and he, he's going out for it. I'm like, that would, that really left me feeling like insecure. Like, God, what if that ever happens again, where I'm in a situation where, where that happens, you know, that'd be really cool to know what to do. And so I think that the first time I ever even like stepped foot in an, in an ambulance was uh, like doing a ride along with Tyler at one of his first jobs, I'm pretty sure. And I'm, I'm one of those people who went to EMT and then immediately after paramedic and then immediately after a, a UMBC program. So I was just obsessed oh, wow. with that. I'm one of those people who just <clears throat> skipped straight ahead, um, like like people hate to hear. Yeah, the repeat button on those pagers came in handy when you wanted to get out of a lame party or something. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot to tell Sam about that, but uh... it seemed fun at the time. I think he was just going out to hang out with other people. <laughs> <laughs> all right, I'm out of here. <laughs> That's awesome. Very cool. So uh, similar story for you as far as getting into education. Um, did Foam Frat kind of lead you into the education world? Yeah, you know, the way that that started was Tyler and I were running a lot of the trainings together at the shop that we were at. And um, we which uh, if you don't mind, what what shop is that? Where where were you guys? It was uh, Lifestar. And um, that's actually Foam Press started as the Lifestar training podcast. Mm. And the reason was we were trying to do flipped classroom mm. approach. And so Tyler had an idea of why don't I, you know, interview some of the people at the company or maybe some of the local physicians or, you know, some of our educators, him and I would do a podcast and then we'd send it out to everybody uh, before, like the month before that training. And we'd have like everybody, you know, take a listen to this and then, you know, you won't have to sit and listen to us, you know, talk for an hour at a whiteboard and, and do all this back and forth. We'll just be able to come in, do a quick know briefing on it we'll be able to run simulations and then we can go around and debrief the simulations and stuff which is really what we wanted to do with people's time when we we could actually get them in one room we, you mm. know we we're thinking it's kind of pointless to be sitting here lecturing at, at people when when they could be you know asynchronously learning and then we come in and we you know get some discussion going and, and get people actually interactive with it and so when tyler went to you know moved you know across state we were like, man, how can we keep this going? And um, the the answer was kind of starting something outside of Lifestar. And so we switched it over to the Foam Frat podcast and kept doing blogs and podcasts and stuff. And that was in like, um, that was in kind of the middle of 2017 now. Mm -hmm. So out of curiosity, you guys are, are working together even um, kind of before you got into the education side. Um, what was the makeup of uh, not only the service you were at, but kind of the area, what was initial education like? Where did people go to initial education? Technical. There were colleges. a few technical colleges in that area that were like the uh, the mills for pumping out EMT paramedic students. There are some so great ones was, and some bad ones. Yeah, yeah, that was the thing. There was one that was like had a really good <clears throat> reputation, a couple of good instructors, and then there were a lot that. I don't know. It was during that time period where people were trying to make the paramedic courses shorter and shorter. And mm -hmm. like, you can do this in one semester. And so people would come out of school and they really, I mean, they didn't have the experience. They didn't really have much to go off of. It was more like they just got everything thrown at them. They remembered enough to pass a test and then they could get a job on the ambulance. Not everybody, you know, you had a couple people that picked up on it or they had previous experience as a, as an EMT, but it was mostly there's just these technical colleges. I mean, my initial paramedic um, certification was it was just a technical diploma. I didn't do like a paramedics associates. I went back later and, and got a degree, but the initial one was just a, a paramedic diploma. And it was mostly people who wanted to be a full time firefighter. And they knew they had to have that that paramedic card in order to do that. And so a lot of the paramedic classes were full of people who wanted to become full-time firefighters and the paramedic was a thing you had to do in order to get there. And what, around what year is this? Is this before online education um, kind of really came into play for EMS education? For, for us. Yeah. But I mean, yeah. I, I took an online refresher like 10 years ago. 
you know, mm. and so it definitely was around, um, but it wasn't something that was very popular. I don't, I don't remember that many people really talking about that. Um, it was mostly like the conferences were very big at the time. And after mm -hmm. Tyler and I started doing a lot of training for our service, we'd go out into the counties then, and then we started getting invited to like conferences and, and people would eventually, you know, reach out and be like, Hey, you know, we, we like your guys' lectures and your podcasts and stuff. That's actually how kind of the foam frat thing took off was people were like, Hey, uh, we, well, we, Tyler was looking at our podcast analytics cause he was the one who like uploaded them and stuff. And he's like, how do we have like 3000 downloads? Wow. And like a hundred employees. It's <laughs> <laughs> so like more people are listening to this outside than, than inside. And so I think that that was kind of like the, like the precipice where it, it was um, maybe starting to become more popular for people to think about, you know, I, I listened to this podcast for fun. I listened to it on my, my drive to or from work or on, you know, while we're driving around the ambulance or whatever, you know, maybe I could use this for continuing education. And so people started requesting that, that we get some sort of mm. accreditation or whatever. And we didn't do that for, for years. We had a lot of content stacked up before we actually decided to, to pursue accreditation and stuff. Well, yeah. Capsy's not cheap. No, no, it's not. It's not cheap. So what was, um, whenever you were talking about 10 years ago, when you guys were creating the training for your department, what was it like then? Were you, uh, because I know technology took an exponential jump. It took a giant leap when it comes to um, content creation and accessibility to those uh, platforms. What were you doing back then other than the podcast? Were you guys trying to come up with innovative ways to do an online class or were you doing mostly in-person stuff? What was, uh, what was Con Ed like for you back then? For, for us personally or like the industry? For you personally, Tyler can tell you what a competition it was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Sam and I have always had this nice, friendly competition between each other where we'd figure out how to do some sort of transition or we'd figure out how to throw in some effect or something. And then the other one would have to learn it. And then we'd have this algorithm that flips around in 3D and then the other one would have to figure it out. And so we were going back and forth um, utilizing Keynote on the Mac. So Keynote was our, our main frame. That's what we used. And I mean, we still, we use and abuse Keynote. And it's funny because you have the saying, the death by PowerPoint, you know, mm -hmm. and it's really just like, it's, it's the vibe of PowerPoint. You know, you click on PowerPoint, it encourages you to put in a, a title, three bullet points, and then you can add a big picture in with a little caption. Mm -hmm. They kind of like they they pigeonhole you into following a certain template. And if you go to a conference, you'll see like a couple of times, like some people utilize the same template. You know, there's only a handful of them in there. <laughs> and so we were like, how do we get people to pay attention to this stuff? Mm -hmm. And the, the trick was to make it not look like education, to make it look like a TED talk to make it look like something completely different. And we started utilizing some storytelling techniques. And we, in the beginning, had a very like three formula format where we do like the three tips to not look like an idiot during your pediatric rest, like your tabloid type, like clickbait <laughs> stuff, you know? Tabloid, yeah. And, yeah, clickbait, yeah, we, yeah. There's a few clickbaits in there for sure. In the, but we're in the like, you know days. what? It works. Like, let's do this. And we started to zoom in instead of trying to cover like, all of pharmacology for paramedicine or cardiac pharmacology, we'd be like, we're going to do a class on Levafed and we do everything. We just zoom in like super, super close on one topic because, you know, you got 45 minutes, an hour or so to teach somebody something. You can't teach the entirety of a topic. And I feel so bad for paramedic instructors out there because they, they have to try to fit all of this stuff into this tiny period and I don't think it's possible. I think what you have to do is exactly what a lot of instructors are doing now, where they're like flipping the classroom, having them listen to this stuff, and then doing simulation in person, and then having really good discussions after. But yeah, at that time, I mean, there wasn't, I wasn't doing like 3D animation. We weren't doing a lot of animations or video footage or experiments and stuff like that. It was just trying to see how creative we could get with the tools that Keynote had. And as we kept doing it, people would be like, you're not using Keynote. That doesn't look like Keynote. Like, what are you using here? And we're like, no, it is Keynote, but we're just doing this, this, and this. And that led to like our first course that we created, which was the Educator's Atlas course. 
And so that was a course that we did that was just like, hey, here's a little uh, booster pack that you can put on to Keynote and make your presentations look like a, a Marvel movie. And we started doing that. We had, I don't know, it's probably 15, 30 people in our first class. And the last assignment in that class was you had to create like a five-minute presentation utilizing these techniques. And we watched those and we actually recruited the ones that we like the best and brought them on. And a couple of those people are still instructors for our live classes at FoamFrad. And so we're like, man, this is a really cool technique because we can have people taking our course. And then when we review their final topics, we'll pick the cream of the crop and then have them join the FoamFrad team and help nice. us make content. And so it actually ended up working out really, really well. Jared Patterson was like the first person to sign up and he's been on the team from the, like, the very beginning. So it was a cool way of like, kind of like headhunting a little bit and finding the educators that had a similar style because it's, I don't want to say it's, it's difficult, but it is, it is difficult to find good instructors because oh, there's yeah. so many instructors that like to get up there and just toot their own horn, you know, for a long time and war stories. And it's interesting because stories are really good. They're powerful, but you can't be the hero of all those stories. <laughs> Nobody wants to hear that. You know, they want to hear stories of uh, this competent but vulnerable person because that's how they identify yeah it's very well said of emphasis on like um just even like when that class started off just to like like kind of sound down and and get the general theme of it that's like a big thing for us with classes and something that we taught in that class that i think people latched on to a lot was we spent a lot of time just coming up with the initial like intro slide almost like if you took like a YouTube creator course or something like one of the first things that they would go into is what does your thumbnail look like? Because if nobody clicks on it, then nobody will ever get to see any of the work that you actually like put into that video, which could be quite a lot like hidden behind that thumbnail. And so we were really big into that when we taught that course and we still are today, which is coming up with a theme, kind of like a catchy title, uh, something that in incorporates like the feeling and almost like the soul of that lecture so mm -hmm. that people get a feel for it right away and they know what they're in for something that's like interesting they, they know that they're going to get something out of it and it's got a it's different it's a different enough approach to make somebody a little bit curious and we try to maintain that theme all the way throughout the classes that we do whether it's like a story arc or like a specific type of illustration or animation that we use um, we try to like stick to that and so that was a real central point to um we call it the educators atlas and that got a lot of traction actually that was some of the like the biggest attention that we started to get at the very beginning of teaching classes um the ems world picked it up as like their official teaching course i think two mm. years in a row or something like that we gave some talks there and stuff so that was um like a good amount of like brand recognition for kind of the teaching style i remember a lot of the uh people that went to the course or people that would watch a presentation that we do at like a conference they'd be like well, this is great, but like, how long did it take you to make that slide? Like that slide alone, you have like, you know, 42 animations and they're all building one by one and stuff. And it did. I mean, it was like, it did consume quite a bit of time, but once you have it, you have it, you know? And so we may say, Hey, I got this vasoconstriction I modeled on uh, software and it took me, you know, an hour to make it look good. But now we can throw, we have a Dropbox file with different characters, uh, Lucas, Ultrasound, all of these assets that people can drag and drop into their presentations because we all know how bad stock footage is. <laughs> like it is so hard to find like a good stock footage because people don't do it. You know, so you got like a suction in the mouth that's hooked to a ventilator circuit and all this weird <laughs> stuff. So we're like in our, within our team, we have a Slack channel. And then we have a Dropbox file. And so when we make assets and we make graphics, we put it in there so our educators can pull from that. And one of our goals going forward is to open that up and open resource that. So that way instructors from all over can go in and pull a video of hypoxic vasoconstriction or lung recruitment and have like top-notch stock footage for education. Because that's one thing that's lacking. I mean, you go and sit in a paramedic class and it's some blown up pixelated picture from you know five ten years ago because they can't find anything else i mean what do you do you go into google images you type it in and then you drag and drop it into your presentation how 
how has your content changed over the years? How has it evolved as you've gotten feedback and not, not necessarily, you know, the, uh, the quality of the content, you know, obviously that's something as technology changes that gets better and better, but how has uh, the con the educational content changed over the years since you've been doing it? I think it's become much more like theme and story based and kind of like following just a, a general feel of it. Like we we talk a lot about and it's a it's a weird word and sometimes it's almost like a dirty word, like a brand aesthetic. Like you try to follow a certain brand aesthetic and over time, like the brand aesthetic has evolved quite a bit. And but now it has a certain feel to it and people have a certain expectation of it that it's going to follow a certain style as well. And over time, I think like probably the biggest way is just like logistically, besides kind of like the psychology behind it, probably logistically, the biggest way it's changed is now the way that we produce the videos is is pretty different. Whereas maybe in like the really early days, it would just be a screen recording. And yeah, we'd have a lot of like animations going across the screen and stuff like that. But in a lot of the videos, like Tyler and I aren't, aren't even in them. You hear our voice and that's pretty much it. There's like kind of no background music and we, we took a lot of cues from like YouTube creators and things like that when they have like lo-fi music in there and they kind of have like animated intros and interesting reaction videos. They, they don't always stay in one place. They kind of break away and they do like an experiment. So like on the other side of the desk here, I'll have like my you know, seven Sigma mannequin and we'll break away to a skill real quick. And then I have like a camera mounted up here and we'll, we'll watch a little procedure thing that I do with my hands and stuff. And so it's, it's more about now, I think, um, adding some variety to it if we're just talking about like the pure logistics of it kind of adding some variety to it and taking the learner on a little bit more of a, a journey rather than just knowing what to expect all the time we really try to keep the video short and keep something unexpected in there some kind of breakaways uh the thing something we've been doing lately is like doing physical experiments where like i just built this little um this little circulation trainer with some balloons and a siphon pump and a clamp to simulate like afterload and cardiac output and the differences between like arterial and venous compliance and things like that. Or I, I had somebody um, print this like translucent 3D heart, which I just what? got in the mail the other day. Uh, <laughs> shout out to uh, Troy Rison and and uh, he did a great job with this resin print. And so something I'm doing with this is like I'm drilling into the left ventricle and then I'm going to put a little water pump on it and bring it back up to the aortic root to like and put a pressure manometer on it to like show that the changes in real time as we adjust like little things on it. And so we try to come up with like novel stuff like that. Like it's very simple experiments and things like that, just to try to drive basic points home, because I think that that's what's missed sometimes. It's just like a really strong understanding of the basics, especially when you're diving into some of the like more complicated critical care topics. The psychology behind this, what have you guys researched or what, what led you to the understanding of these techniques um was there educational psychology that you that you learned or you know what what brought you to these ideas i can say for me it wasn't a very official source it was just a trial and error um mm. I, tyler and i would talk to big groups of people and so we would have everybody from uh, first of all the service that we work for is everybody would attend training together and so it was everybody from emts or maybe even students in the room all the way up to critical care paramedics, maybe the medical director is sitting around. And so you had to be able to like address the whole room. And so we would always be able to, well, one person is up talking, you know, the other person's kind of looking around the room and they're seeing what people's reactions are and what questions they bring up. And did they engage with this point or did they not? And so it was a lot of like trial and error. And one the maybe the, the best thing about doing those trainings is that we would go around to all the different bases and we would give them. And so the first one was like real trial and error. And we, we'd try, you know, maybe it wasn't the best one. Maybe the best one definitely wasn't like the first one that we would give. But the best one definitely was the last one that we would give because we would get a lot of feedback from a lot of different levels of clinicians. And we would see, man, like the EMTs are really getting lost at this point. And at this point over here, like the critical care paramedics or the nurses are like totally bored. Like, how can we combine those two to get everybody involved? Let's switch that up with a little bit of a scenario and have them work together and switch roles or something like that. And so that was, it was a lot of trial and error, um, scanning the audience, asking people what they thought. And those ended up eventually, you know, going to like conferences and stuff. Those ended up being pretty large sample sizes that we would get to try this stuff out on. And uh, that, that gave us a pretty 
good idea of for us, at least in our own style, what would engage people and what wouldn't. Yeah, it's interesting because if you listen to a comedian, like a really good comedian, they call out the things that people think, but they don't realize that they're thinking them, you know? And so that's what makes something funny is they're calling out something that you think on a regular basis. And you're like, oh, that's funny to me because I do think that, but I just never, I never framed it. I never labeled it as that. And as, as like uh, EMS providers, we do the same thing. We sit at a conference and somebody's given a talk about pediatric emergencies and they start saying, you know, they're not just little adults and, you know, they have, you know, these tongues are bigger <laughs> and their head. And we're like, we've heard the same crap <laughs> over and over again. And it makes us all of a sudden just kind of like tune out. Like we're not interested in this anymore. This is the same thing where somebody gets up there and their first slide has you know, 56 post nominals on it of everything that they have with their CPR, ACLS instructor and everything, all their labels and credentials on there. And you're like, oh, I already know what this guy's going to sound like, you know, <laughs> or the guy that we, we did this, this class where we talked about like the different types of instructors. And we had the one that is always trying to play a video, but it's like not playing, you know, and he's like shaking <laughs> the thing. And we went through all of those because those are the things that you see, but you're just, you expect it. I mean, people expect that for EMS education. So when you give them something that is maybe not even fantastic, but it's different, they look at that and they're like, oh, this is really cool. This is different. And it's so easy to do. All you have to do is just get a pulse on what keeps the average person's attention. Go on YouTube, you know, go to Mr. Beast or these people that got these YouTube followers, Joe Rogan, they got millions, billions of followers and look at what they're doing. And then figure out how you can extrapolate that to EMS because the attention span is getting shorter and shorter and shorter. There's yes. TikToks. You don't like something, you just you keep on scrolling. So if you want to get somebody's attention, you got to be moving. I mean, if, if you're on the screen talking to the camera longer than 45 seconds to a minute, people want something else. I mean, we're literally at 60 seconds. We try to keep the frames down to, or the um, like the FaceTime down to before we we go to a slide or we go to an animation. So we look at all that stuff and we're like, how do we keep people's attention? And, and do you, oh, do you find that this process works well across all generations or, yeah. you know, do, does it, uh, do you get, you know, kind of accused of pigeonhole, you know, to certain, uh, you know, millennials, Gen Z, um, or does this actually work for everyone? It works. I mean, for, for what we've seen, it works for a lot of people. I mean, I don't know of anybody who says, no, I want the PowerPoint. <laughs> you know, like, we nobody says that. that. Nobody <laughs> wants, they want a movie. Everybody goes to the movies, right? Everybody enjoys a good story, a, doing experiments. Nobody goes, oh, this is dumb. I want a heading with different topics. So we don't see it. And honestly, if we had a few that said that, we'd probably be like, they're the minority in this. And Sam and I both come from a musical background. We've been in bands our whole life. And I remember like we'd go out and we'd play a gig somewhere and you'd start, you know, you have a set list. I was in a red hot chili pepper cover band and, you know, you have a set list of all the songs you're playing and you'd look at the audience and you'd say, all right, there's a bunch of old people here. We're not going to start off with nothing else matters by Metallica. <laughs> you know, let's, let's try to bring in some Neil Diamond or a little bit of Johnny Cash. And that's that right there, the reading the audience and having a pulse on it instead of just this is my script. This is what I'm going to say, like it or hate it. We'll very likely adjust things as we're going through it. And this is when you're in person. It's very hard to do when it's online education. You know, sure. but Zoom when you're can in kind of do it too, but not not as well. We do a lot of live classes on Zoom yeah. all week. And so we, we have a little bit more of an ability to adjust there. But yeah, live is definitely the time to do that. I just got to bring up one thing before I, I forget about it. One of my favorite things that Tyler does in the educators class is when he's going to talk about the guy, because he, you know, we have all these characters and he always does the guy who can't get the video to play, but he doesn't tell people that he's introducing that section. And so he plays the guy who can't get the video to start. And he's like, well, guys, now that we're in here, we're going to get into some, some different things. You know, uh, I'm going to show you a video really quick. And then just, just check this out. It's a real quick one. And then we're going to get right into it. And he's just like really playing it up. 
and then he's trying to get the video to work and there's like this awkward silence in the room and everybody kind of starts like looking around <laughs> and he'll go up and futz with the computer for a second god this was working just a second ago before i was up here well maybe we can keep going with the and then sometimes i'll come up and be like i think i can get it to work and we'll just play this thing up for like a minute <laughs> And you can tell everybody's really uncomfortable, (laughs) but it it puts them in the situation of being like the audience member Mm -hmm. in in that situation. And everybody is like, clearly, like, this is the most unprofessional thing I've ever seen. But then like, (laughs) what here's I'll tell you, like, the funniest story is that all the time. Tyler goes up there and he we do this like little skit, you know, of the guy who can't get the video to play. And Tyler had come into the class like after so he we both had like sections we were teaching at this one conference and tyler i I had been sitting there all morning watching like everybody all morning and tyler goes up he he shows up later on right in time for his, his talk and he goes up and we do this whole thing and uh the guy that's sitting next to me was that guy who did literally exactly the character the talk before mine going through and I'm sitting next to him thinking wow I'm so glad this happened to somebody else sitting right here right now I'm so uncomfortable and then he thought I was clowning him (laughs) it it happened 30 minutes beforehand and Tyler wasn't even there to know what had happened so he's just like roasting this guy in his chair and he has absolutely no clue as he's playing it up and the whole Tyler is the only person in the room who has absolutely no idea that this had happened 30 minutes prior to him showing up and it was the funniest thing. so in between sessions during the vendor breaks did this guy put, come up to you and like hey bud we need to have a talk <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah he had a really low of, of me after <laughs> and i love that you find that hilarious that's awesome <laughs> well it was it was funny it was, it was called the teaching course and it was oh. a, it wasn't our course we were like contracted to teach in it so yeah. it was a whole class on how to present mm-hmm. and so when everybody saw me just you know fussing with it what's funny is when somebody's got a problem with a video playing they point the little remote at the the like the screen when you know it's going to your computer it's not right. even going to the screen <laughs> but they shake it and stuff and it's just identifying like little things like that that are awkward yeah that you can improve on and then try and, and we're not doing it perfect i mean there's so many things that we look back and well i was looking at some of our old videos and for some reason i had my camera it looked like it was attached to a smoke detector i mean it was at the ceiling <laughs> looking down and i'm like this is not good you know or i have my my mic block and stuff i just it we've learned so like much this, like this like this right here <laughs> oh no tyler's i mean was like no i was like you know <laughs> hey guys welcome back to the phone for App podcast you know <laughs> but tyler and i whenever we're, we're doing a, a class like that or something like you know or, or we're going back and forth in like an online forum or something like that or we're doing a zoom class or something like that the other person always has a level of anxiety for the other person. And so whenever mm. we're taking a break or something, we're, we're, we try to read the room or if we send each other a video um, and we're like, hey, man, here's, you know, this 15 second you know portion of this class that I put together. We'll be pretty honest with each other and be like, man, at this point, at, at this live class, like I really felt like we were losing them like we we have to avoid that in the, in this room we were this is not a room that wants like that level of detail i saw people start pulling out their phones for a few minutes like we gotta yeah. during those little portions like we gotta maybe speed it up a little bit or get some mm. interaction and we'll do the same thing with like a recorded video if if there's way too much time where i'm just like talking to the to the camera and, and didn't flash away to something else that you know one of us would be like man that, that's, a, that's a long time on your face dude like then nobody wants to see you that long you know, <laughs> i got the shortest attention something else Sam has a longer attention span than I do. Mine is super. He writes these long, <laughs> long ass blogs, mm-hmm. and then he'll be like, "Hey, can you uh, can you peer review this?" And I'm like, "Dude, I gotta <laughs> I gotta split this up into chunks because I cannot sit there and stare at one thing like this that long." And so I'll read like part of it, and I'll be like, "Yeah, man, it looks good." Well, and, and, and I'm I'm the total opposite of Tyler, so I have like the other judge of of content where I'd. I my main thing is whenever I have downtime, like I always sit around and read. Like I I don't produce content in the same manner that I I consume it. I'm I'm mostly just a, a reader. Like my favorite thing to do is just to sit down and read. Like I would be totally happy. I'm the I'm the person who could take the boring refresher and it, it could 
give me 60 seconds to read 60 words and I click next and I'd be like, man, this is great. This is like forcing me to read a book, you know, like, but if our business model would like that, like we'd, we'd foam frat would not, wouldn't exist, you know, <laughs> like right. nobody would actually go for that, you know? Well, and that's what I was going to say is the brilliance behind it, because I believe, you know, to Jason's question earlier about multi-generational, um, you know, applicability, I think that's the way that we're trained now, because if you watch a movie from the 80s, like if you watch Ghostbusters, you have these long, awesome cinema, you know, the cinematography, they hold a frame for a while, whereas mm -hmm. now it's frame, 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 frame. Like they're looking at these little objects that may, you know, help tell the story. Um, the sitcom intros, too. You remember how every sitcom would have a musical intro that lasted yes. 45 seconds to a minute? You don't see that anymore. Nobody yeah. does. I was just yeah. talking about a movie the other day that had great dialogue in it. I was watching. I haven't seen it in a long time. I was watching Reservoir Dogs by Quentin yes. Tarantino. And that was like great dialogue in that movie. And they, they held that's like something you notice about his films is like the story is so good that he can hold a single frame. Yes. for a long time so I, I don't know if we have that that talent but it is certainly like if you can get to that level of of holding that like dialogue or whatever it is for a long enough period of time it takes a lot of talent um and so yeah I, mean, I think it definitely can be done where you yeah you do have like prolonged shots and things like that but it, it definitely takes a, a lot of talent to be able to pull that off and really get people like gripped in a story or something it's got to be pretty deep at that level you know what's interesting is like guys like elon musk they're so weird that they can hold your attention for a long time you're like absolutely you, you know you watch it and he's just weird enough that you wouldn't want to go out to dinner with just you and him oh i would but, he's totally an alien dude he's yeah, absolutely yeah. an alien <laughs> But like <laughs> when he's watching, you're just like looking at his facial expressions and the way his brain is processing information. And he's so weird, but because of his success and what he's done, it makes him a very interesting person to listen to. And that's yeah. that's a hard status to obtain. You know, somebody doesn't just do that. But I've had an EMS instructors, specifically like older guys that have been in the field for a long time and when they talk, you listen, you know, you, you really pay attention. I'm taking some animation classes right now. And one of my instructors, he's like, I don't know, 65 or so. And he's been a Disney animation for years. And he's talking about, you know, when they used to work on Lion King and the little mermaid. And no way. Yeah. You're listening to this guy. Like you animated my childhood. <laughs> like, and so <laughs> When they talk, you're just like fascinated by what they're saying. But that's such a hard status to achieve. You know, that's not something that I think Sam and I will ever achieve is that somebody just wants to listen to what we say. So you got to find other ways to make it interesting. And the number one thing is make it re relatable and then make it relative. And if you can do those two things, like you got somebody's attention. Well, I was going to say, though, that's actually an interesting psychology, I think, of what you said, because I don't know that he would hold my attention like that. I think that almost says as much about you and your background that he holds your attention. And that's kind of, you know, so that's kind of the question. Actually, the next question I, I wanted to ask, and maybe Sam for you, kind of on, um, have you seen the level of engagement for students uh, wanting continuing education? Has that differed um, from a student that goes to a kind of a fast online um, hybrid or hybrid type of program versus an in-person, you know, maybe it was a paramedic program that was a, a year long um, or longer versus, uh, you know, some programs that may have been a little bit uh, shorter or less engaging maybe on the initial um, education. Does that change the way that you uh, have to choose content or present it? Yeah. So, our approach, I guess, is a little bit ambiguous. A lot of times we have no idea what the background of our, our students are whatsoever. Some of them, and especially in the live classes, which is why we like to do them, we do get to know those students, especially if they keep coming. Like we have a lot of regulars that just like, they don't even process the CEs. They kind of just like, they see different classes for the week and they come and hang out. Um, we have a few people that I think have attended every live class all week for six months sometimes and we're just like hey man what's up you know how's it going they just want a friend you know <laughs> yeah more, more <laughs> friends. so um i don't i don't think that it changes too much it's um people will share their experience some, sometimes and they'll say like hey 
you know, I, I really wanted to get into this, or I've always wanted to know about this topic in depth. You know, I didn't get that much of an education on this stuff. Like there's a few classes that I do where people usually reach out and say that kind of stuff. Like there's one I do on like WPW <laughs> and people are like, man, we talked about this a little bit and there was this thing about maybe adenosine and like AFib or something like that, but like nobody ever explained it to us. And and I, I don't really know if those people come from like a, mm -hmm. a substantial background, you know, they, they could be, you know, a lot of times they could be like um, a CVICU nurse and they're really curious about WPW or it could be, we have a lot of EMT students who come into those just because they want to know what their paramedic partner is doing as well. So we don't have a, we don't have a lot of like hard data on that to say like, you know, the people who took the short programs are really hungry for more knowledge or the people who took the longer programs are kind of coming in, you know, and, and more willing to engage in the conversation because they know a little bit more. It's, it's really like person and personality uh, dependent on how much they want to engage with the different types of content. I don't know, Tyler, what, have you noticed a difference or? Yeah. You know, what's, what's interesting, Jason, is like, I feel like sometimes as educators, we can overcomplicate human beings and the way they learn. And That's we'll true. say, oh, this person is a hands-on learner. This person is not. And I feel like everybody always says, yeah, I'm a hands-on learner to you because that's a great <laughs> way to learn something. If you're using your hands, it makes sense to get your hands on whatever that is. And I don't think that there's all of these, like, I, I mean, yeah, there's different types of people, but you make something entertaining and you keep it moving. You you show them that it's a good product. It's it's or not product, but it's it's full of of content. It's it's got substance to it. I feel like most people are pretty predictable. They're pretty predictable on when they're going to tune out, when they're going to call on something, and they know that they know what's going to come next. And if you can surprise them and have something a little bit different. It's applicable to the majority of generations. You obviously have your oddball out once in a while, but we have, you know, we have a huge like sample size to pull from and look at how long somebody watches a video before they tune out, you know, and you try to say, well, maybe they got a call or whatever. But we look at that data, we look at that information, we look at the surveys. And what it tells us right now is like what we're doing is working. But the problem is, is what we're doing now that's working may not be working in a year from now. It may not be working two years from now. You know, one of the things that we're really interested in is in gamification. We have a virtual reality development department now. Where we're working on games that we can put into studio. And so we know things are going to keep changing. And you can't do the same thing that you did a couple of years ago and expect to do the same thing today and keep people's attention. And as the social media markets evolve and movies change and 3D and different types of entertainment, EMS has to change with that as far as education goes. So we have like a two-year recycle period on our content mm. where we look at it and like, all right, let's let's redo this, you know, <laughs> whether it be because I, I lost 30 pounds, I want to redo these videos <laughs> so I don't look fat anymore, you know, <laughs> I don't have to hang the camera from the ceiling to avoid seeing my double chin anymore, <laughs> but also like new evidence comes out and new studies will come out. The, you know, the OMI manifesto, the occlusion myocardial infarction, instead of just STEMI came out, we're like, oh, we got to redo all that content. And so th that type of stuff makes us crafted, but I feel like the majority of people are very, very predictable and you can, you can probably separate them into some different categories, but I don't know how much that helps. I think you, you lose a little bit of ROI trying to cater stuff to each different generation when the majority of them just want quality, entertaining content. Yeah. yeah. And I, I think like interesting, applicable and practice changing, like if somebody walks away from a class of any kind and and they don't think that there's anything that they have to change like I, I would be really disappointed if I went to somebody's class and I walked out of there thinking man thank god I'm doing everything right you know like that that would be a total <laughs> waste that was a good you give the example Sam um, of you give yeah. the example of like after somebody leaves a, a, a class and they're sitting at the bar and they go hey how was that class you know t talk about that I think that's a really good point yeah, that, that's what I always think about uh, when I we go speak at a conference or something like that is I try to like picture one person's experience and they they leave my talk, they go out and they meet up with their friend out in the hallway and they say, how was that? How was that class? Good, good. So, you know, what was it about? Ah, it was about, you know, ECGs or something like that. Okay. Like that's not the general, you know, it was just about ECGs. 
I want them to to say something like, man, did you know that this, that, and the other thing, and you know, a lot of people have been doing this, but if, if it doesn't spark any conversation, if, if at the end of the day, there's no change that you want to make in something like what was even the the point of, of bringing it up in the Call first place it's good to refresh on things don't get me wrong but if it's continuing education and, and you're going here to try to learn something new and at the end of the day there's no good call to action where you want to talk to people about this and then there's something that you want to change or some clinical pearl that you click that you picked up like i, I don't really know what the point in, in attending was besides maybe some confirmation bias if, if it was you know nothing new at all. You bring up a really interesting point, and I definitely, you know, Sam and I were texting about this um, prior to the prior to the recording. As EMS in general as a whole is starting to approach this really weird spot where, you know, it's, it's this whole staffing crisis isn't coming. It's here. Uh, we are, I don't know if it's the same where you guys are located, but, uh, down here in the Southeast, it's, it's really significant, um, to the point that people are pointing at initial education, um, almost as a crutch to blame, you know, they're saying, oh, your programs are too long, 18 months, 16 months is too long. They don't need all that clinical. They don't need all that stuff. Just get them on a truck. Let's go. Um, and unfortunately, from my perspective, initial education programs are caving to that pressure. Um, and so we're starting to cut corners. We're starting to, um, well, not we, but initial education is starting to uh, try to make it more, quote unquote, efficient. Um, and so it seems that students are graduating at a much lower threshold, that mm -hmm. the entry, the barrier to entry for our profession is much lower. With all that to say, do you feel that it's, a project like foam frat or continuing education, the importance of this has become bigger because of this, or what are your thoughts on that? Yeah. Can I, can I unpack that question a little bit? Yeah. 100%. I don't want to bring us off on like a, a side tangent or anything like that, but yeah, I, I feel like there is this, um, there is this thought that the, the, the initial EMS education is, it's longer and, and more difficult. And a lot of people bring up those issues, but I, I think that there's like some weird and, and maybe arguable presuppositions like moving into that question, because if somebody says something is, is too long and too difficult, the question is, well, those are relative statements longer than what more, more difficult than what. And when, when you take a sample of the, of the, health agencies or, or professions that we compare ourselves to nurses, respiratory therapists, um, PAs, physicians, people we interact with on a regular basis, medical assistants, you know, somebody could make the argument that they all have to get degrees and sometimes multiple degrees. And you could, you could further argue that then that makes that more difficult. And, uh, but the, the kind of counter argument to that is well, longer and more difficult when you compare it to the reimbursement uh, that, that you get after you graduate. And so to, to talk about the, the one point you brought up, does that make you know a company like FoamFrat feel more responsibility for picking up some of that slack? Yeah, absolutely. And that's why a lot of the things that we do go back to basics and essentially, and not that this is like a bad thing or it's not meant to be a negative, but we take everything back to basics and almost assume that the learner is coming in knowing nothing at all. And we build off those basics until everything is applicable with really assuming no knowledge coming in, not really believing that people have no knowledge coming in, but we've definitely adjusted based off of that. It's a safe um, place to start. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, I think that even more you could unpack there, is there, is there a true, um, is there a true shortage? Or is it a shortage of incentives for people to keep those jobs and, and return to those jobs uh, as well? So there, there's a lot to, to unpack there as far as like, you know, does, does continuing education help with retention and, and employee satisfaction or anything like that? Um, I, I think that it does. And, and we get a lot of, you know, people saying like, hey, your stuff inspired me to do better. Or, you know, I enrolled in an undergrad program. Um, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to more continuing education. This this changed my practice and stuff like that. But I don't think I don't think it's a silver bullet. 
And, and if I, you know, was real self-serving here, I'd be like, oh yeah, man. Yeah. Continuing educate. We're filling all the holes. <laughs> we're getting people to keep their jobs, man. It's, it's fantastic. But I don't, I don't think that those are the statistics that are, are coming out. I don't think that any um, amount of continuing education or anything like that can, can fix some of the, the top-down issues that we need to, to fix either. So not to get off a, a, like a side tangent there, but I think that there's a, a lot to retention and the way that we think about that initial education as well. Um, because yeah, there, there is that argument that it's, it's longer and it's more difficult, but it, is it an absolute difficulty? Is it relative to that? Is it only difficult for those providers because we don't require them to take any associate degree level classes beforehand? And so they're behind the eight ball when they start. So there, there's a lot to, to unpack there. There's certainly a lot of problems when it comes to figuring out why is, why is the staffing shortage occurring other than simple burnout and hours and work-life balance. There's, it's, it's definitely multifactorial of which, yeah, continuing edu education definitely plays a part. Yeah, we definitely have um, colleges that reach out and say, we want to use your stuff to augment what we're doing for initial education. And so I think that's pretty cool when they do that, because then they can do exactly that. They can flip the classroom, show them <clears throat> some classes from Foamprat, assign them stuff. And then they go into class and they do simulation and they talk about it. So we definitely have seen that. And that's cool to see that augmented. Um you know, a lot of our stuff is building off of the formal education, starting from the basics and then moving up. But it's been cool to see places like incorporate that into the initial education. Absolutely. Absolutely. So um, tell us, uh, tell us where Foam Frat is now. You know, we talked about how it started, um, kind of the, the grind and the hard work that you guys pour into it every day. What is uh, what is Foam Frat Studio? What is what is the platform now? Yeah, so Foam Frat Studio is like the dream home for our content. So we had all these classes we recorded; they were cool. We liked them. We were you know, like, "This is really neat," and we would put it in these white labeled learning management systems. Or uh, Canvas was one of the initial ones we used. It's kind of like Blackboard, and then we went to another one. We broke that didn't... one. What's that? So we broke we broke it. One. Yeah. And so we just, we couldn't find anything that we liked. We wanted it to look like Disney Plus, Netflix, Hulu. You know, a whole thing is like making it not look like you're logging into a college, you know, discussion board forum, like making it look <laughs> And so we, uh, we started putting out our feelers for developers and we came across a really, really good developer and he was a friend of a friend. And then we brought him on and we started like, you know, we, we had our Oculus. So we'd go into like these VR rooms and we'd be drawing it out what we want it to look like. And he brought on one of his buddies that he worked with. And then he brought on another buddy. So we have like four developers now that we're working with. And they started, they never built a learning management system before, but they started like taking what we wanted. And we'd actually built our mock-ups and stuff on Keynote. And we'd show them what we want it to look like. They would take that and they would code it and test it. And it turned into like this amazing platform that we love now because it's thumbnail based. It's kind of like YouTube where it encourages you to click on it. And so the other thing that was nice about that is then we could say, hey, we have this uh, these different portals. So, you know, if, if this EMS agency, Prisma Health out in South Carolina, they partnered with us. We made them their own portal and they could upload their own content and make their own quizzes, but then they still had access to all of the foam frat content in there as well. And so that was really cool because now we have this platform where we can put little trailers for new classes coming out and we can really control all of the aesthetics of it. We can control how it looks and then keep manipulating that and changing that to keep up with the industry instead of waiting for Canvas to update their platform because we're bored with how it looks. So we wanted full control over all of that. And so with that came, you know, we, we had hired a full-time customer support administrative assistant person, Savannah, who just, I mean, she's killing it. She does amazing. We got customer support nine to five. Uh, Brian King is our operations manager. He started off just doing social media stuff for us. He's a flight medic in uh, Delaware. And so Sam, Brian, and I, and uh, we, we, we have a little text thread, you know, and every morning it's good morning, boys. All right, let's get to the grind. And we have all <laughs> of our plans and what we're going to do. 
and our team and our Slack channel, it's just so cool to see this like cohesive team now that's just more, and it's not a big team. I mean, it's pretty small. We keep it pretty, pretty controllable. You know, we don't just, Hey, you want to come on? You want to come on? You want to come on to the team just to add more content. We're very it's controlling intimate. over who's on there, but <laughs> it's, uh, it's been really cool to see that. And there's a lot of people, you know, we're just Sam and I are meeting with you guys, but there's a lot of people behind the scenes that keep that wheel going. And it's been really cool. We've been lucky to just stumble across these developers or virtual reality developers or people who have the same interest in animation and stuff. So we're excited about what the future looks like. Our dream is to make movies. We want to make actual movies and games and get out of the lecture style type classes. Mm. But, you know, that takes a little while to do. Yeah, it's not happening tomorrow, but it's uh, we got a pie in the sky. We want a fantasy factory. You know, we see Rob. De- yeah, what is it, Diedrich's? Yeah, we want factory. a fantasy yeah. factory really bad. Yeah, we want a fantasy. The foam frat fantasy factory. <laughs> Sam and I are going to have our own little little place out in the middle of nowhere. A little combine. Yeah, a little, <laughs> little compound. A little, little EMS <laughs> continuing education compound. So you'd be like MythBusters meets fantasy factory pretty much i hope so one yeah. day one day that's what's gonna happen dude and remember and tell her you you heard it first here folks <laughs> <laughs> dude that's awesome that is fantastic that's great um so is this uh is this full time for you guys now obviously yeah i don't, I don't see how it couldn't be you know, yeah it is yeah, i still uh i still work part-time as a flight medic at uh lifelink three i couldn't i couldn't I really see give how. that up I don't but, see how you uh, found time, man. That's uh, that's wild. Yeah. No, it's. I mean, it's cool the support that we've had from the industry that we're able to do this full time and that we're able to focus. I mean, I sat down here all day today recording content, interviewing docs, editing videos, animating, and so it's nice that we're able to do that and put out like quality education that we feel the people like the providers would be interested in would mm. we watch it. Would we be interested in watching it? So it's been really cool to be able to do that. And I can actually like lean into the animation side. Now I have time to do that. That's awesome. Like you said, a dream come true. Yeah, it has been, it's been really, really cool. And I can work from home. Our basements are, or my basement is like a, I turned it into a studio. Sam's got a whole studio there and we, yeah, we're able to, to now make traveling and recording and stuff a business expense, you know, (laughs) where (laughs) before I I can remember times where I'd go out to conferences to speak and I'd be like, Hey man, can you write me a check? Like right now, like (laughs) I spent all my money on a plane ticket to get here. (laughs) You kind of need to deposit a check real soon, but yeah, it's been nice that it's allowed us to, you know, we, we invest so much of it back into the business just so we can, keep up with cameras and electronics and, you know, technology and stuff. And so we're excited to see where it goes. I'm really excited about the game development aspect, you know, who doesn't want to like make EMS video games. Well, that's what I was thinking. You know, I'm, I haven't played video games in a long time. So I'm sitting here thinking like a rock star version of EMS, like <laughs> grand theft auto, like you're just driving the ambulance around and you catch a call. Like, is that. Yeah. So we're the first trial that we're doing of this so we've done a bunch of vr classes where tyler and i are actually in it live and we got this like dumb avatar and stuff like that but we find fun <laughs> things to do like um the i think one of the well probably wasn't the first one that we did but we did one where it was like a 12 lead thing and it was really cool to be able to like draw the axis of the heart in 3d and like move those things around or like you could position the audience in a way that like you could show the electricity coming towards them in 3d and then backing away from them and like draw like how why that makes the complex look a certain way and we did this like game where everybody you know uh, jumped into teams and then they had this whole pile of ecg complexes and they had to figure out like what what is the normal r-wave progression and axis and in you know the the limb leads as well as the augmented leads and so they'd like be putting these ecg complexes in there like Oh no, like a- AVR should be upside down. No, a- AVL is the biphasic lead. And oh, our, our transition zone is too late. And they're, they're going around to see who can like get it done first. Um, but there's only like so much you can, you can do. And it, it's pretty difficult to do those live VR classes because uh, everybody's like jumping all over the place. And yeah, it's, it's like it's really cats. hard to keep. Yeah, <laughs> people, uh, it's, it's hard not to just want to get in there and then, and then um, just explore around because we'll, we'll build out these whole environments and stuff. Like the last one we did was like 
um, made a whole nephron that you toured and like there's like robots doing the the job of like sorting ions and stuff and um, all this <laughs> all kinds of stuff and uh, then way too we, much we were like we should make <laughs> an, like an asynchronous one where people can just go in there anytime and play with it and so I'm like we should make something really off the wall like something you're gonna tell them what it is could... what's that you're gonna tell them the idea that you had I'll, I'll yeah yeah I <laughs> well <laughs> This is the current project that out. we're investing money into. <laughs> we can we can cut it out if we need to. So it's um I think we can we can talk about it. it it'll okay. um no, nobody's seen a preview of it or anything yet, but it's a it's a zombie shooter ECG game. <laughs> and so Makes the, sense. the premise is that like you are trying to solve mm. these little ECG rhythm problems and unlock the guns you gotta you gotta solve the problem <laughs> and unlock the guns before the zombies get to you and the zombies are dressed up like doctors and nurses and stuff like that and so it's not like for ce or, or anything like that but um <laughs> it, we figured it, it would be something cool like if you're trying the proof to of concept like yeah that, like who doesn't want to do a zombie shooter rhythm game you know it's right kind of cool Fully Cap C accredited. No. no. <laughs> Cap C, if you're listening to this, I have not submitted a, a certificate for that. Yet. <laughs> Yet. Yet. We'll see where it goes. Dude, that's But fantastic. it's it's little things like that, like little experiences. And so we're kind of doing this one as like a proof of concept of like an asynchronous learning thing and just mm -hmm. getting down some of the... It's the first time that we're working with this developer. And so we're just trying to get like a workflow going and a proof of, proof of concept. And they'll probably get a little bit more useful and realistic from there, but... We were yeah. like, why don't we just come out of the gate swinging with, with something that you get to blow some zombies apart or something like that. So it will be rated M uh, without a doubt. And so that's, that's like a, that's you know, a weird thing to wrap my head around. And any disclaimer of um, any uh, likeness to actual nurses and doctors is purely coincidental. Of course, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. When you see them, I, I don't know if they'll look like any doctors or nurses you've seen, or maybe you have. It depends how long they've been on shift before, but um, yeah, pretty pretty ambiguous, yeah. That's awesome. So what can people um what can people get out of foam frat? What can uh you know individuals and then also teams uh if different departments services how can they benefit from uh from 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 foam frat? Blech. Yeah, so um the individual, I mean they when they sign in for for studio, obviously I mean we keep up with all our free content. So if you never want to pay for anything, there's always blogs and podcasts and workbooks and references and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, if somebody actually goes into studio, there's a bunch of recorded content that we're always updating. It, it floats somewhere around like 125-ish to 130 hours because we're always taking stuff in or uh, taking stuff out, putting stuff yeah. in, re-recording and stuff. So hours bounce around a little bit. But they can do their state with that and REMT um, if you have any like it's for nurses as well. So if you have like CFRN and then there's a full FPC CCPC course in there as well. And then we do live classes all week long. So we do live classes Monday through Friday where we just teach. I teach from right here like on Zoom and stuff. And we do a lot of like back and forth with people. Awesome. And then you can just let like, you can track your certifications. You can track your certificates. Um and yeah, dude, NRE is like automatic NREMT upload. It's like CAPC, IBSC, ENA accredited, yeah. all that kind of stuff. All for a low price of one fifty nine ninety nine. Your own people, <laughs> that, upload that, content and stuff. Dude, I remember whenever a refresher course would be six hundred bucks. Dude, they still are. There's still some out there that are extremely expensive. When I when we look at them, we we looked at our pricing and. We looked at what it, our bottom line for like, because we have to pay every time you were saying CAPC is expensive. Every time somebody processes a CE, we got to pay for it. And what did we figure out saying we process one CE or how many CEs a minute? It's It was like, it's like a CE every two or three minutes or something. Yeah, like, like every know. two to three minutes, foam frets processing a CE. So, I mean, you can imagine how fast that accumulates. So between that and the instructors, I mean, $159.99, that's probably a little, it's probably on the lower side of the industry, but it is, uh, we just keep adding in stuff. And it's not like you have to be like, well, I want to add on this. or I want to add on that. Or, I mm -hmm. want to add on the critical care. Or, I want to add the vent course. We're like, let's just Disney plus the hell out of this thing. Like, let's just yeah. Bloating it, throwing in stuff, and then just have the same because the the main thing is just retention. You know, we want people to be a subscriber to Foam Frat and keep up with the evidence based medicine, and not just do it when they need a refresher, but just hang out with us in the live classes. So it's been a lot of fun. I I feel like it's a 
a reasonable model for all of your continuing education. And we do little workshops and stuff like that and workbooks. But the main root of everything that we do is the FOMED movement, you know, so we'll always put out podcasts, we'll always put out blogs and keep feeding the, the FOMED beast. But if somebody's like, hey, I really like this stuff, then there is a, a way for them to do it. And that's why people were like, hey, I listen to your podcast on the way to work. And then I go to work and I have to do this other education. It'd be nice if I could count this. And that's what made mm -hmm. us go down the route of accreditation was, hey, let's let's just see if we can do this. Let's make an EMS refresher. Was, I think it started off as about a 48-hour refresher or something like that. And now we just Six, keep our adding Our first to one it. was 60 because we needed to do the NREMT. Oh, that's right. Yeah, 60. Yeah. Do you still offer that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's all. Yeah, you can do like state and REMT, nice IBSC, all that, all that kind of stuff. It's all included. Awesome, very cool. Well, uh, how can how can the listeners get a hold of you on social media? How can they find your website? Just Any just look for wherever wherever we're stirring the pot that day. <laughs> 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 um, no, yeah, just foam frat on on Facebook is probably like where we have our biggest following. But um, there's like a decent following on Instagram mm -hmm. as well. Yeah. Otherwise, you can just go to like foamfrat.com. Uh, we're trying to get into we've TikTok. We've been trying to get people to check out our YouTube as well. YouTube is really hard <laughs> for us to like get going. I love how Tyler went to TikTok and you went to YouTube. <laughs> well, Sam and I have been recording ourselves doing little dances on TikTok to try to get yeah. our our followers. I don't. Up, but... I'm not a I'm not a TikTok type of a person. I'm having a little I'm bit of either. trouble trouble adjusting. I'm. I'm it's hard, but you. Time. I mean, we have to pay attention to where yeah. people are going. You know, like there's. I've like... I've got an 18 year old son, and uh, literally 99 percent of his sentences start with, "I saw this on TikTok." Yeah. <laughs> I remember when TikTok was first coming out and there's all these really weird ads I kept seeing and I'd be like, oh, that's like people trying to like steal your information or something like that. And yeah. it turns out <laughs> yeah. Yeah. when you sign the user agreement. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, Sorry, and, and don't if shut you want to email TikTok. us, our uh, our email is just Tyler at foamfrat.com or Sam at foamfrat.com. So if you guys have any questions or anything, we'd love to, to hear from you. Awesome. Well, guys, thank you so much for your time. Seriously, yeah, this, is, so uh, yeah, this is a blast, man. Nice meeting you guys. Yeah, yeah you as well. You've been listening to MediClass Citizen. If you like what you heard, check out our website at www.mediclasscitizen.com. Also, find us on social media where you can follow, like, subscribe, and share. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and we also have videos on YouTube. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time.